I'm Matthew McCabe. Welcome to Miracle Voices. Each episode, we will be delving into stories of forgiveness, healing, and transformation that have come about from integrating the principles of the book, A Course in Miracles. If you want to learn more about A Course in Miracles, visit www.acim.org. If you'd like to visit the Miracle Voices site, please go to www.miraclevoices.org. If you feel inspired to make a love offering, please visit us at miraclevoices.org forward slash donate. All donations go support the work of the Foundation for Inner Peace, the publisher of A Course in Miracles. Now here's your program. Hello, everybody. This is Matthew McCabe. Welcome to Miracle Voices. I'm here with my co-host, Tam Morgan. Tam, how are you doing today? I'm doing so well. I'm so excited. Our hiatus is over. Yes, me too. And you've had a lot of adventures. Maybe we'll get to that. But Joanne Menon, welcome to Miracle Voices as our guest today. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Where are you sitting in the world, Joanne? I uh, Today, I am in Newport Beach, California. A week ago, I was in Olympic National Park, but now I am sitting at home at my office. Oh, great. Great. And if anybody ever watched that movie Fletch with Chevy Chase, those beach scenes were right where you are. Do you ever see that movie? Oh. <laughs> I, I haven't remember that. <laughs> oh, it's a great one. It's a great one. <laughs> now I have to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> I can't re- it's I can't remember. I mean, I can't believe you remember where that was filmed. This randomness. Incredible. Okay. Well, Joanne, I'm excited to get into this with you because I got a little preview of your forgiveness story, but let's let's just start with how A Course in Miracles came into your life. Oh, wow. Um, well, it came into my life because Marianne Williamson was speaking at the theater just down the street from my home. And, you know, I had seen her name headlined and a friend finally invited me to go with her. I had no idea who Marianne was. Um, I had no idea that The Course in Miracles existed, but I showed up weekly to these fabulous lectures and, um, Everything that Marianne said at the time was brand new to me, and I I was just constantly blown away. I still didn't know what the course was after attending her lectures for over six months. And then finally, I asked someone next to me in the audience, like, what's this course thing she keeps talking about? And he looked at me like I was somewhat insane, and he just said, "Uh, A Course in Miracles, the book that she sells out in the lobby every single week. And, you know, had I seen, the actual text before the lecture, it might have looked a little bit too familiar, like a Bible to me, and I might have run out the door, but spirit has ways of bringing you in and um, getting your attention through experience. So once she really had me and had my attention, um, I finally bought the text and started reading on my own. And I studied, I think I went to her lectures faithfully for about four years and then there was a turning point where I didn't quite resonate with what she was teaching. And then the next teacher came in, Gary Renard, the Holdens, <clears throat> eventually David Hoffmeister, someone that I, you know, really pay attention to now. Um, and then eventually I just started teaching on my own. I felt that I was called to do that. So, um, but yeah, I was brought in, I guess you could say through the back door, um, a sneaky way to get me to read the course. Mm, whatever way works. That's, that's a great way. I was brought in through the back door, too. (laughs) I get it. Uh, Yeah, that's great. 
Well, that's great. Well, how do you, how do you feel like A Course in Miracles has has changed your life as you've kind of immersed yourself in it? I mean, it, it's hard to even remember life prior to A Course in Miracles. Um, and also, you know, the course, I was studying the course before I, um, I earned a master's degree in spiritual psychology. And it was like the course was the intellectual side of, of um, this teaching, which I, I understood, but I hadn't experienced it as deeply as I had hoped. And then when I was getting my master's, that was the actual, that's where Mighty Companions came in. And it was like everything I had learned became real time in this classroom with 200 other students. And then from there, I really, you know, I just kind of stuck with spiritual psychology for a while, but I realized that they dovetailed so perfectly. Um, when I started my own coaching practice, at first it was all the tools of spiritual psychology, but every time I turned back to the book, I'm like, wait a minute, this goes so far beyond even spiritual psychology. So yes, I can use my tools to help people and reframe things or speak about projections, but then I'd go back to the course and it would, it just kept referring to the one problem. And it's like, I can drag people through therapy sessions, but if I understand and can share with them the one problem and put that into diagrams for them, um, then suddenly there's almost no point in going into all the details of the problems that I was experiencing or anyone else. So I think for me, I've gone from a life of um, so many chaotic adventures. If you've been a caregiver and you've had to watch a parent, you know, slowly slip away from Alzheimer's, that was so traumatic. The course was there, though, to support me and give me the strength of God. Um, same thing with my dad. He had dementia. The course was there for me. Um, even down to the day that my father passed away, I was given a very specific lesson Um to repeat before I knew he was going to pass away. I just kept repeating this one particular lesson until suddenly I was with him when he passed. And wow, the course was there for that. Um, as I mentioned to you on the phone earlier, Matt, I've had a few past life experiences, but again, they were for the healing of the mind. But when I put those in the context of the course, talk about blocks to love, like wow, there was somewhere in my subconscious that I had these stories of guilt and shame and betrayal that were playing out subconsciously. But then in order for those to be surfaced, they had to, you know, they had to surface in my, my quote unquote, real physical world life as well. So I could take those events, put them in the context of the course and still be real time in the world but then I had a way out. All I had to do was ask for the holy instant. And instead of analyzing everything to death, I could say, spirit, just remove me, show me the way out. So I would be given those real world steps. Just do this. Just do this. Just do this. Um, and really thinking from my, my holy mind or being guided um, versus being trapped. You know, the, the death grip of the ego is horrific. Um, and so I feel now that the the interval between when I in I am in upset and when I ask for um, you know forgiveness at the highest levels or forgiveness for salvation, the interval is so short now. I don't have to suffer long before spirit immediately comes in with 
do this right now, do this. And it's been, um, it's really developed my, my trust, my faith, my courage to be constantly given examples of how I can be supported in the real world. So yes, I get that I created some of the, this chaos going on in my life. Um, but I have a way out and I can be at peace at the same time. So that's how, you know, the course has truly helped me. Uh, I have to jump in with a, a question here because there's a term that's been um, thrown out here so casually and it makes me <laughs> smile. Um, specifically, what is spiritual psychology? They never had that when I was going through. Mm. I was a comparative religion major. Uh, so so to get a degree in spiritual psychology means what? Um, so a degree in spiritual psychology, it's basically putting soul back into the study of psychology. So um, the two professors that I had, Ron and Mary Holnick, um, basically developed a system where really the point of that degree was to help you get back into alignment with what your soul desires. So yes, we studied all of the, you know, the psychologists that, you know, the typical ones, Freud, you name it, um, Carl Rogers, but it was a constant practice of let's come back to what the soul needs. What's compassionate self-forgiveness. And that ultimately what, uh, you know, a technique that we learned um, compassionate self-forgiveness is forgiving yourself for buying into the misperception that you've done something wrong or someone else has done something wrong. And so instead of judging all of the behaviors, this process that we would go through ultimately would end in, oh my goodness, nothing actually happened that can harm me or hurt me. It's all my thought system. And anything that's surfacing is for the healing of the mind. So it's it's really, I mean, it was a university course that was in direct alignment with A Course in Miracles. So for me, it was it was really easy. But um it's it's spiritual psychology is basically asking us to not look at the behaviors and look beyond to that soul in front of you. Um, it's asking us to not give advice, but to not even assume for one second that we know someone's spiritual path, that we would know their karma. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, like we can't possibly know what someone's spiritual history is of any, of any way, shape or kind. So all we need to do is just be this loving battery of light. And it switches you into being a neutral observer of life rather than someone that is constantly engaged in all these little details that upset us or, or, you know, flat out, get us an argument rage. Trust me. I, my friends know they call me the rager because I've had my fair share of <laughs> expressing, expressing emotions, but um, spiritual psychology is also, you know, what needs to be expressed. Every emotion is okay. Every emotion. And as a little girl, anger was never allowed in my household. Um, anger, if I had any, was met with anger. Um, and my parents were incredible, loving souls. But the very, very few times that I can count on my household that my dad was upset, 
um, I rest assured, I, I never wanted to see it again. So um, spiritual psychology allowed even anger to not only be accepted, but to be something I use to guide me. All it means is I'm out of alignment. How? Where? Let me ask spirit. Get me back in alignment. So does that answer your question to some degree? It, it answers it really beautifully. Mm. Thank you. Um, I, I, I love that. Um, I, I will insert here that my mother at age 89, she uh, broke her ankle foot, actually. And uh, she was up all night and she suffered from insomnia anyway, although she never suffered. She always used <laughs> to do things. Her advantage. <laughs> she came in to breakfast in the morning and she said, you know, I have decided I wanted to master something. Um, before I die. And I said, master, what 89 knitting? Like, what are you talking about? Which would be a big joke for my mother if she started knitting. And she said, no quantum physics. And I started to laugh and she got every single audio book there was on quantum physics for the next year. Voraciously like took it in, studied it, met with someone every Sunday to discuss it. And I said to her, why? And she said, because they finally bridged the language from when I was researching parapsychology to wow. spirit. And so science and spirit has come together in a certain way through quantum physics. And I want to hear the new language. And and you have just given me that about mm. like a comparative religion major who who was also into psychology. Um, wow. There's a bridge here in languaging and um, framing that I think is very beautiful. So thank you for that. Yeah, well, and the language that Ron and Mary gave us, that's what like these, you know, the students came from all different walks of life. There were CEOs, you know, for giant TV networks. There were people who were there who are heroin addicts. There were mothers, there were doctors, there were you know, you name it, but they gave us a common language. So to this day, I consider those my fellow students, my graduates that, you know, they're, they are my first family because it's so easy to support each other with a common language. Nice. Um, but, but the language is this, it's really the same as the course, um, just put in experiential terms and a class, you know, in a classroom. So we could have, we could experience miracles together, you know, so it's a beautiful yeah. program. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Joanne, this would be a great time if you could share your forgiveness story. Yes. <laughs> um, okay, I'll share that story. Well, it's funny <laughs> because my forgiveness story actually began at the University of Santa Monica. And um, I was a new student. I was maybe two or three months into the program. And our program, we only met on weekends. We would start on a Friday and we would go all the way to Sunday evening once a month. But, you know, people flew in from all over the world. So um, in one of the classes, we did what was called a healing of memories. And Mary took us back through our memories, a beautiful guided meditation. And she was taking us back to childhood. But I all of a sudden felt my heart racing. And I went kind of just flying past childhood and all I could see in front of me and, you know, even saying this right now, I can feel my heart rate kicking up a little bit. Um, it all of a sudden I saw in neon letters, WW2 as in world war two, and it was bright pink, just 
so just blazing in my mind and it scared the hell out of me. I was like, what is that? My heart was pounding. I couldn't even really stay in the room. I felt like I was going to vomit. I didn't know what this was about. So everyone else is, you know, in the memories of their teddy bears and childhood bedrooms. And I'm faced with this totally different experience. Um, I did eventually go out of the room. I, I didn't handle it well. I came down, came back, I calmed down. And then they said for 30 days, whatever your little one saw, work with your little one, um, comfort them, let them know that what they saw or they experienced, it's okay. And it's just, you know, a gentle practice. It's a 30 day practice, actually a 30 day, 33 day practice. Well, when I went home, I couldn't do the practice. Every time I tried to go back to whatever WW2 meant, um, I would panic, absolute full blown panic attack. And so um, when I returned to school that following weekend, I was in a trio, which means that there's a client, um, a facilitator and a neutral observer. We were just doing our, you know, practicing coaching. And in this one particular trio, the guy who was the facilitator started attacking the gal who was a client. He just kept insisting she needed to say more and express more and it it made me panic. So at the break, I went to my teachers and um, actually it was, I think it was after the break, I shared that was really upsetting for me. I didn't know what to do with that. And suddenly my teacher just looked at me and she said, have you had any past life experiences? And my body went into full blown tremors. I had never experienced anything like that. And um, I, I said, no, I have hints of things, but I've never had an experience, but I couldn't stop shaking. And right then it was time to go on a break. Um, and my teacher said, listen, I'd like everyone to leave Joanne alone. She needs some, just energetically, she needs some space. And um, I remember this one gal, of course, didn't listen to what the teacher said and immediately came up and said, I've had past life experiences. I can help you. And, and it, it took me out of the tremors, what, which was nice. Um, but I was still really jarred. And when I went on to the break, the tremor started up again. I started shaking. My friends saw me. And suddenly I was surrounded by counselors. And they're like, Joanne, just come with us into the side room. And I said, no, 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 I'm fine. They're like, just come with us. <laughs> so we we lovingly call this the back room story now, but uh, not bathroom, but back room. It was a classroom in the back of the building. And they took me in the back and just laid me down and said, listen, just rest for a minute. You probably are on the precipice of some kind of a revelation. Um, the shaking, the tremors, it's normal. Your body's just releasing something. And to make a very long story short, these incredible counselors, I mean, we're talking, as far as I'm concerned, some of the best of the world. I think one was guiding me and there was four others holding space. Um, and then my professor, Ron, came in at one point and he just smiled. He's like, don't worry, you're probably going to have a release and, you know, see the lights of heaven after this. Like, it, it'll be beautiful. Don't worry. And I was like, what will be beautiful? <laughs> okay, I'm in. Um, but but this one counselor started working with me and she she just asked if I had any memories of the past. And I did go through a couple of past lives, but then all of a sudden, I could see someone with this very defined uniform on in my mind and very specific 
pants that had kind of like puffy sides. And I was like, what am I seeing? And I was describing it to her. And suddenly I had this realization that this person I was seeing was me. Um, And I was getting ready to shoot a woman who was on the ground, kneeling, huddled up um, with her back to me. I knew there was a child with her too. And I suddenly had the realization that I not only had murdered this woman in a past life, but I had then the physical, I experienced in that moment, the physical sensations of being shot in the chest. And it was excruciating. And at that moment, I just, I almost ripped my shirt off completely. I think I started screaming in tongues. I was crying. I was sobbing. I couldn't believe what quote unquote I had done. Um, but I realized this was a world war two scenario and I was on the quote unquote wrong side of the fence and I had shot a mother. And then in that same moment, I realized, or I, you know, and this is hard for me to tell the story because this, I, as I mentioned to Matt, not even my kids know this story. A few of my friends and classmates do because they were there. So it's, this is the first time I'm kind of publicly outing myself. So forgive me if I'm a little shaky on this. Um, Totally but forgiven. It never happened. It never happened. Right, and, and I right. and I did get to that point, thank God. <laughs> but um, anyways, at the moment that I realized that I had shot this mother, I suddenly saw the faces of my friends who were mothers in this in the quote unquote this lifetime. And I realized that everyone that I thought I had shot had come back and they were now my friends that I loved dearly. But I saw them. It was like watching a movie reel go by. And I just sobbed and sobbed. And then I had this realization of, oh, my God, is this why out of guilt that I started the mom's club of Mid Wilshire in L.A.? Is this why I was a school teacher teaching about World War II and the Holocaust? I mean, I'd taken hundreds of students to the Museum of Tolerance. like, And it's like suddenly my life. And the things that I had done, I could put in the context of this, um, this experience. And it was, it was both terrifying and revealing. And, you know, I had the counselor there still with me as I'm screaming and crying. And as she walked me through it, she kept asking, what are you seeing? What are you seeing? And at one point I was literally like on a battlefield lifted above the battlefield. And it was like spirit was right next to me showing me from above what was happening. But in maybe it was a second of time, maybe it was 10 seconds. I don't really know. But what I experienced looking down was all of these people who were battling. It was like I could see their soul contracts and they were all there to heal the mind, to work something out. Um, and I, I don't know how else to explain it, but it was like two soldiers might've been battling, but they were actually learning about brotherhood. There was another one that was like karmic where someone who had once been, you know, the predator was now the victim. And it's, there was so many, like hundreds of different soul contracts working out that when I was lifted above it all, I just remembered feeling this 
unbelievable piece of, I, I think the words that I heard were war is a place of expedited soul growth. In other words, souls who have huge things that they're trying to work out as quickly as possible, they come into war, they work them out and they leave, then it's over. Um, but after that, I had a different sense of, I just had a different view even on war. And it's not like I walk around going, oh, war is fine. Everyone's working out their soul contracts. What I say is there is something far bigger that is happening than just what we see on the news or anything else. And so um, I first saw that and then I was lifted one more level above it where suddenly I just heard and none of it's real. It's an illusion. And it was like, what? And I didn't get to stay in that piece very long, um, unfortunately, but I did feel this moment of, oh my God, it's all somehow made up. And then I think at that point, I kind of came back into the, the, the room with the count. I became aware of the space. And I think I looked at the counselor and I said something like, oh my God, it's not real. And she just smiled like, you're right. It's not real. Um, I was exhausted at that point. Um, and then to be honest, I wish my professor had been right that I would have just experienced the lights and that had been it and this massive moment of grace. But what happened was the next couple of years, I, it was like, I had to undo that lifetime of being violent, of the anger, the rage, the voicelessness of being a soldier. Um, and, you know, it seemed like everyone was hitting me with like, hey, do you want to see a movie? And I'd say, yeah. And they're like, oh, it's about World War II. I'm like, great. Yeah, actually, I don't want to see it. <laughs> so I had to, I, I used my friends, my teachers, I used everything that spiritual psychology offered to clear the massive guilt, the massive guilt. But even then, when I would go back to the Museum of Tolerance, like one time I was back there and Anne Frank's diary was there. I just cried because I had taken students to the Museum of Tolerance and I taught them to be, you know, look at what the Nazis did and, and which is true in the physical world. But then when I would go back and read Anne's world words, like she got it, she got it. And I, I, but that's not what I was teaching my student. I didn't have any idea that you could have compassion for, you know, for both sides of, of war to the depth that I now had because of this strange experience. Um, but it did, it did take me a long time. It was no joke because if you can imagine being a soldier on either side, the feelings that you have to process, the emotions that you've stuffed, the guilt, the shame, and ultimately, like the Course says, it all goes back to one problem, the problem of separation. So in whatever reality my soul chose to either create a fake story of war, if you want to call it, or I, I experienced it some on some level, I ultimately was playing out this, the one problem of separation. And so it's probably been more recently in the last year or two that that finally makes sense to me. And I don't judge war. I don't look at it in the same way that I used to, but um I can help people see things differently, or I can work with someone who's a Marine who has done some horrific things. And I can genuinely say, I love you. I don't care what you think you've done. I'm absolutely here to listen, 
to guide you. And they might insist, yeah, but I've done this, this, and this. And I'm like, I know, but we're going to get through that together. Like I have a different level of compassion um, because of what I went through. I know that was a long-winded story, but that's that's the essence of it. And um, yeah, so like I told Matt, I'm I'm outing myself. Um, <laughs> my 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 kids hopefully won't listen to this podcast for a while. So. <laughs> that's very very brave of you, and, yes. and good for that. Have you um, read at all the Bhagavad Gita? You know, I have not. It's it's that story. It's about a prince who learns that he will go into battle facing his family and he seeks out Krishna for help and learns about seeking God and fulfilling, you know, his dharma. And and so he has to go into the battlefield and literally come up against his family in war. Wow. And what that means. You you really should Check it out. I think you'll be blown away by the the, the similarities. Yes. <laughs> Very much. I, so. Very much so. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it it's, you know, and it's led me to other experiences as well. Um, one I'll just share briefly. When I was in England, I lived there for the last four years. And there was one evening where um my husband said, why don't you, well, actually I heard the voice in my head. I heard the Holy spirit say, go have tea. And it was 10 o'clock at night. He, it was a Japanese restaurant that he worked for. So I was pretty much in my pajamas saying spirit, why do you want me to go have tea right now at 10 o'clock? But I went and I was sitting in the front bar area, having my cup of tea. And then all of a sudden, my husband, who was the general manager at the time, he saw some people pass by on the street and he like, he went outside and dragged them in at 10 o'clock at night. And I'm thinking, oh my God, stop. It's 10 o'clock at night. Why are you pulling people in to, you know, feed them, you know, sushi this late at night. But what he does is he looks at me and he goes, oh, this is my wife. You can sit with her. And I'm looking at him like, are you insane? What are you doing? <laughs> like, I'm tired. I'm in my pajamas. And um, what had happened earlier in that day, I had a friend whose family um, was deeply involved in what was going on in Afghanistan. Her parents were part of the, um, they were helping the UN. Her dad actually helped when um, the Taliban first fell, her dad helped bring the new currency into Afghanistan. So deeply, deeply involved. But this is during, you know, the latest attack on Kabul and all of that, when the Taliban were taking over, What I guess that was a summer or so ago. And my friend, I reached out to her and I said, is there any way I can help you? And she said, just amplify my voice. People don't understand what's going on. And so I wrote, I, I tuned into spirit. I wrote this editorial piece. It wasn't quite what she was looking for. But as I was writing, because of my experience, I deeply held both the people who were suffering in Afghanistan and I held the Taliban soldiers in my strength and love. I saw, you know, all of them collectively, like their hearts lighting up, God pouring in everyone in their strength, fear falling away. And I held that in prayer for quite a while. And that night when my husband brought these two random people in, we were talking about for 45 minutes and I kept thinking, spirit, why am I here with these people? And suddenly the wife goes, oh, sorry, my husband's been on his phone so much. He's got kind of a big emergency. And I looked at this guy and I said, well, what's the emergency? And he said, oh, I'm in charge of security in Kabul for all of the news stations, diplomats, and, and I, I'm trying to get people out right now. And I just looked at him and I said, my friend, her family is there. She's trying to get people out right now. She can't get visas. She's trapped. 
And he just, he just looked at me and he said, give me their names. He goes, I have hired the last four planes coming from Jordan to Kabul. I've got the lists. I can get them out. And I said, well, they can't even get visas. And he goes, all they need to do is get on the plane. We'll get them to a different country. We'll get them their visas once they get to Germany or the UK. I can't guarantee where they're going to end up, but we'll try to get them out. I was blown away, but I know this man was drawn to me and I was drawn to him because I held both sides in the light. And he did reach out to my friend. He did begin the process with her. Unfortunately, the Taliban attacked the airport the next day and everything was shut down. But I heard so clearly from that point, what I was supposed to do was complete. Whatever love I sent, I did it. The Holy Spirit had it from there. I saw people in their strength, not their weakness. Um, And again, I don't think I could have done that had I not had that real or unreal experience in the back room of of my university. Um, There's no way. And I'm still friends with this gentleman. um, But we just we couldn't believe that we had come together. And he wasn't even supposed to be in in Bath that night. Bath, if you say it correctly. Um, he wasn't supposed to be there. They were supposed to be honeymooning up in Scotland and I wasn't supposed to be there. I was supposed to be at a friend's house. So, you know, spirit will do what's needed. But to me, it was just, you know, and people say, oh, I don't, you know, prayer is not enough when it comes to war. I kind of think, really? Well, I don't know how you're praying, but I know, I know my prayers have an impact even across the world. I don't have to be there, but if I'm called to pray and I'm called to see people in their loving, I will equally love both sides, period, end of statement. And that's, that is my only job is to be that light for those people. Really wonderful message. I, I mean, one of the parts that tickles me was just how you started it, which is um, no matter how deep, uh, and I do listen to spirit completely and deeply and do whatever spirit really wants. tells me to hear spirit <laughs> and wants. Still, that question comes up. Why do you want me to go to a cop? You know, a why tea at 10 o'clock at <laughs> why night? Why do you go to tea at 1030 at night? You know, in my pajamas of all things. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like, like we still ask and it again, to the end of my mom's life, she would say, um, as she heard that, that boy, she said, she started to say, why is a crooked letter? Don't go there. <laughs> it would make me laugh. But she also deeply, one of her greatest meditations daily was, what is this for? What is yeah. this for? But yeah. it's a different question than the yeah. details of, this is for to get you to this place to do, 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 do. It's, <laughs> it's truly, the answer is always love. If it's yeah. not love, we're not doing it. Um, so, so I, I, I really do love that you listened and you asked, but even though there was no answer to later, you went. I, I love that's the best part of the story that you went to tea at 10 o'clock at night. Yes. <laughs> well, well, it kind Listening. of is, it kind of is. It is. That's when everything unfolds. And even metaphorically, you know, people read tea leaves. Uh, so you went for your future and you went for your friend's future and there is no time. So it all kind of collapsed into what really mattered was this experience of connection, love that spirit brought you to and allowed you to be the light that you're very, very dedicated and purpose to being. So, yeah. And, and, you know, it's interesting too, because what's coming into my mind right now is 
was that prayer opportunity for me for them or was it actually a level of forgiveness for myself for my own supposed participation in war again maybe that's just some giant story but it was effective enough for me to understand that i will have repeated lifetimes to heal and um, however long i want to take that's you know i by seeing the light in others that that you know I, i'm really giving it to myself and i have the answer for that oh yes the please tell me is yes <laughs> was it for you was it for them was it for this was it for that yes yes Yes. Check, check, check. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 Good for you for, for listening. And yeah. Joanne, you mentioned that uh, you had that realization that it all really didn't happen and it's not real. But when did it start to feel that way? Was it kind of like a logical understanding first or has it slowly kind of come in like a tide where experientially it doesn't feel real now either? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I think I saw it, you know, it's like, if you want to hike Everest, you can actually see photos of the top of the mountain, but you haven't experienced the top of the mountain. Um, mm. I would say, in all honesty, that happened to me back in 2013. And it's probably taken almost a decade to really, you know, it probably around the time that I was saying those prayers for the Taliban and the people of, of Afghanistan. Um, that it started to really come full circle for me. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a good question. I think it's been slow over time. And like I said, when I had that experience, even though I did quote unquote, see the top of the mountain, I, I, I still had to on some level process the emotions and everything around war that I hadn't back then. Um, even the guilt for quote unquote teaching my students incorrectly. Well, I didn't know, but let me tell you, if I took people on a field trip to the Museum of, of Tolerance now, I've got a whole different story to share. Um, and the love that I I have for everyone, it just feels so different. But as a teacher, you know, teaching my eighth grade students, you know, I, I don't need to have guilt for teaching them wrong, but now I could just, it was, you know, again, it was just another visit. Oh, wow. I was off. Um, and so of course now, like I recently visited Amsterdam and I wanted to go back. I just felt, you know, you go to Anne Frank's house, many tourists do. And I also felt a different presence. I felt spirit with me there, whatever happens. It's like, oh, I'm just just here to be the presence of love. Um, and also to, to some level, not buy into the story of victim. Like I'm going to see through that. We are eternal period. And, um, if I'm drawn to places now, so I don't buy into that story or I'm given myself an opportunity to rise above fear, then that's my practice. You know, that's how spirits guiding me to, to strengthen this muscle of forgiveness for myself and and the separation or wherever this all came from um it's you know it's everything just becomes an, a, an opportunity a baby step towards the next level of of my own consciousness and when you get caught now uh in an ego storm and it feels very real and you feel like hey this is the story of joanne and i'm a victim or a victimizer guilt's coming up and how dare they how do you get back 
on track? Is there anything practical you do to kind of get recentered? Yeah, it's funny you ask. So um, I've been teaching A Course in Miracles classes for the last you know year and a half, and I have this really simple diagram that I use. All of my students know it. We've used it a thousand different ways, but um, I basically draw, if I'm really stuck, I draw a circle and everything that's upsetting, I write in that circle and I call that the ego circle. So this is all the story of the ego. It's like having its own little stage. And then I draw another circle that I call the eternal circle and I'll write whatever words that day inspire me, whether it's the divine or I see a picture of a cherry blossom or an eagle, whatever word inspires me. And I basically draw a line from that eternal circle. I draw a line that goes from the eternal to the ego to remind me the one problem is this mad idea that I'm separate. So I I remind myself, okay, I created this problem. And then I draw a line going from the ego circle back to the eternal. And I label that the holy instant because that is my road back. So the second I realize I'm in chaos, when I see it on a quote unquote stage on a little circle, it's like I'm capturing those thoughts on paper. And I'm saying, spirit here, I'm handing this to you. I don't need to analyze the chaos anymore because I don't think the ego really, you know, the ego is going to make things as chaotic as possible. So we never can truly understand them. So I just take that circle and I hand it back over to the eternal. And from the point that I hand over the issues, consciously hand them over when I'm, you know, that upset, then I just wait for spirit steps. How do I now get out of the chaos? I don't have to analyze it. Now, sometimes I might be called to analyze it, or maybe a therapist stumbles across my path, but I just wait for the steps. What now? I'm I'm in chaos move me out, move me out. And I will every time I'm given the little steps. And it might be that I need to express rage. Maybe I'm really upset about something and I was holding rage that I didn't realize was, you know, that intense. So then I'll, I'll turn to one of my practices of freeform writing and I'll write and write and write and write. I'll ask spirit to keep showing me what's in there. What do I need to express? So I have like a container for what I need to express, but I write and write and write and write and write until, you know, I get clarity, like what's the other view that I missed. Um, And, you know, so I'll do something like that. Or, you know, I have a lot of mighty companions now, I can turn to one of them and say, listen, there's a death grip here, I got the ego death grip, help me out. And sometimes I, I think just sharing with mighty companions, there's no judgment. So anything you say first, from the ego point of view, they just listen. And it's like listening to a child have a tantrum. You can't rationalize with the with the child that's screaming on the floor. So let the let the ego have its way, have its tantrum, express everything that it needs to, just fully accept it. And when it calms down, then go into the practice of whatever the course calls me to. And a lot of times I just, you know, at that point, I'll open the course and say, show me what I'm missing, show me how to move through this, whether it's a chapter on special relationships or, you know, whatever it is. But, um, you know, I think I have a lot of different practices, but the biggest is really kind of capturing those ego thoughts, seeing them as separate from the eternal and then calling in that holy instant. So I'm a, I'm a very visual person. So it's, it's as simple to me as like putting your problems on a plate, on a platter. 
and then saying, here, here, God, here's my problems. Now move me to my, my next step out. So I don't know if that makes sense, but when yes. I draw it out on paper, it's very clear. <laughs> no, that's very helpful. Yeah. I like that the ego circle, the eternal, yeah. the eternal circle. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. And you know, you can put judgments in there. You can put fear in there. Um, on this last retreat that I was just leading in Washington, a lot of people were experiencing abandonment and isolation issues. Great. Let's put them in the ego circle. Like how is that playing out with other, you know, other egos, for example, but it still goes back to the one problem, which is the problem of separation. And so um, you can first get it logically, but then once you ask for the steps to, to get out of it and spirit comes through, that's when that proof it's like, wow, the holy instant really works and I can have faith and trust and I just need to do those next steps. And um, so it's just a process that, you know, something I've just developed over time, but it's how the Holy Spirit knew my mind worked visually. And, um, you know, I have to draw everything out. (laughs) So maybe it's because I was a school teacher, you know, I used to teach elementary school. I'm like, I'm still at that level. I need a circle and lines to understand this. So um, complicated text. No, I like that. That's helpful. Yeah. I do too. I love all the different ways that we, that and different tools we use to mm. um, allow our minds to release. Yeah. And I think allow is, is a very, very strong word. It's, it's not surrender. It's not release. Um, but it's a tool to say, as you were saying before, allow a place, a safe place for anger, allow a safe place, uh, you know, that's not hurting anyone else, um, for all those emotions to be looked at and neutralized Yeah, on, on the way to remembering who we really are. Yeah, that's and it, true. And it, it also gives us permission to use our sense of control. Mm. And I do mean sense of control because we really know that we don't have any ultimately. But instead of saying, you know, we have none, actually we have some, we can allow consciousness in. Yeah. And and let's be clear, when I said earlier in this call that I've been known to rage, I have had plenty of experiences of raging. And yes, there was an expression that needed to come up on some level, but ultimately I never felt good. It's like in the long term, it didn't solve the the biggest problem of all. So I was like right back to having to, you know, work my process again. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it is important to remember, like when the rage is there, bring it to a safe space. Mm. Yeah. Don't don't puke it onto anyone else. Yeah. I've done that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because it doesn't get rid of it either. <laughs> it just yeah, moves no, it, it temporarily. It just, right. It just, it's like a tag or it, and then someone else it dumps it on right, someone Right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. That's funny. Well, Joanne, we like to ask a just question just for fun, and that is, what is your favorite comfort food? Calories aside, just what is a, your favorite comfort <laughs> comfort food? It's funny. The weirdest thing is coming to mind because I wouldn't say this is my comfort food, but um, when you asked that, I just heard kale of all things. No, that can't <laughs> be a comfort food. That's the one thing that's not acceptable. We have to go to another one. What's, what? How about when you were a kid? How about when you were a kid? What was your favorite comfort food? 
You've crossed Matt's line. That's Matt, my line. That's you, my red line. You need to have a forgiveness. Uh, I do. I, uh, a I need forgiveness a, opportunity. Yeah, I, really I, I have to put that in my ego circle <laughs> right now. But that so. should be really easy for you to think it doesn't exist, Matt. <laughs> so, like, That's that should so be an easy. Funny. Step. I don't. You know, maybe I said that just for you, Matt, because I was like, that Kale? is, is that what I you're, heard? You're, just you're bringing my you. resistance to the surface. At this you're moment. welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, well, the only other comfort food popping to mind is I have a very special memory of my dad taking me each Sunday to. I think it was called Thrifties. We would go get a little scoop of pineapple uh, ice cream. And that's, you know, it was this little funny scoop that this little strange scooper that they had. And I would get my scoop of pineapple ice cream. So um, I was it like a square scoop? scoop Yeah, it was. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. (laughs) That's that's what it it was. There's a place. um, There's a place in Idaho that is famous for their square ice cream. That's so funny. And, you know, I haven't had pineapple ice cream in years, but, um, you know, if it can't be kale, that's a sweet memory that I have coming up. It's funny, Joanne. Before you said kale, I was like, please don't say kale. Oh, see, I really I did. I swear to God, I was saying, please don't say kale. It was a setup. It was a setup. Matt, are you willing to do the work or not? I'm willing. I'm visualizing the circle with kale in it right now the ego circle well you know what i think we should support him in this joanne i i think we absolutely and you know if you're going to put the circle down you need to draw that physically draw that line matt from the ego circle you know with the kale draw that line write the word holy instant and and hand it over to the holy spirit and and he'll work i'm visualizing yeah there you go he'll work on that I'm excited about this. Thank you. <laughs> no I just have I to laugh. Kale. It's I just have to laugh that this is a lesson for me and Kale. Okay. For me, <laughs> it's iceberg lettuce. Okay. Have hated it since I was a child. I even wrote a short story in high school about how it was taking over the world because it's called a head of lettuce and it's in everything. And it's like, you know, things that you would never expect. It's under just as a little dish and and it and I always felt it had a taste, but everyone told me, no, it has no taste. And and I despised it. Well, but you have to cut it in a wedge. Cold. It has to be in a wedge with no, cheese dressing it can't, and bacon. No, no. And the worst <laughs> thing is it on a hot sandwich where I could smell it in the car where I get nauseous. So I've even tried to eat it when I had a cold and couldn't taste it and my body couldn't handle it. So that's, that's been my thing on my life. My, my brother used to cut carrots in the middle and stuff it in there to see if I could taste it and find it. And I always did. Well, you'll have to put that in the ego circle, the kale I, and I iceberg it's, lettuce. It's all coming up and, and Matt's kind of connected <laughs> kale, lettuce, you know, so we, we, we have our work. We really do. <laughs> I'm yes, joining you in the circle. Okay. Oh, excellent. Excellent. We'll put iceberg lettuce in there and kale. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> mm-hmm. well, Too so, funny. Joanne, okay. thanks so much for coming on Miracle Voices and sharing your Miracle Voice. Before we let you go here, is there any website or social media or way you want people to contact you or connect with you? Um, yeah. You know, I haven't updated my website in a while. Um, that website, it's joannemenon.com. Um, but people can also, it's, it's just as easy to email me directly. And my email is Joe, just J O at Joanne Um, 
I'm not the most tech savvy person when it comes to updating websites. Um, and then my retreat is joannemenon.com forward slash retreat. If people are interested in, in escaping with a few mighty companions, you know, um, cause that's always amazing to have that. And you go to something, like go people. to fun places too, like, uh, Washington in the summertime is a great place. Yeah. We just went to Olympic national park. So we, we do the deep dives in the course of miracles, deep, deep. We use the circle a lot. Um, but then we get a breather. We go hiking to a waterfall. We go out to the beach. I bring in the, you know, the Macaw elders to talk about spirituality that's been in existence for 10,000 years before, you know, Jesus was even around. It's like 10,000 years predates, you know, the Romans, the Greeks. Um, and so I try to balance it. So you, you go deep, but then you have breathing space. And, um, so I'll, I'll hold that retreat again next summer. And I will probably do one in the UK in Bath in May, but, um, maybe one in Newport in January, but to me gathering, um, podcasts are wonderful. Zoom calls are wonderful, but it's magic when you can actually be, um, I like to say sometimes trapped with other mighty companions, <laughs> there's no place to go. Um, then your, your biggest wounds will come up and you'll have such incredible support to heal those in communion. It's like, wow, how do you, how, what, you know, it's, it's hard to compare, um, what that's like. And then to spend quality time with those people right after your, your friends for life, you know, you, you don't forget those moments and those friendships. Yeah. Right. See, if we were in person, we could have exercised my kale demon right on the spot, but now we had to do it virtually and I'm not quite sure we it's can, gone. We can have a private session, Matt. We'll, we'll work on that. <laughs> All your food groups that bother you, we'll, put, we'll, we'll take care of those. Maybe I'll just wait and see if, you know, Matt gets over kale and then I'll step in with iceberg. Well, iceberg lettuce. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's great. I love it. Well, Joanne, um, have a great rest of the summer. Thanks so much for coming on and sharing your story. We really appreciate it. Very much. Absolutely. Absolutely. I um, was happy to be here and um, thank you for the invitation. It was really quite special. Thanks so much for listening today. Please subscribe to Miracle Voices by hitting the subscribe button on your podcast app. If you are enjoying these conversations, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever podcast app you use. And lastly, please visit us at miraclevoices.org and join our newsletter so we can stay connected. Until the next podcast, I want to leave you with my favorite course quote, when you want only love, you will see nothing else. Mm -hmm.